Hello. First off, thank you for listening. It's a big internet, and if you're hearing this, that means you found my weird little corner of it, which is insanely cool. While I have your attention, it would be super cool if you could follow the show on Twitter at PurpleBird616. Please shoot me comments, questions, even just pictures of panels from comics you're reading, memes from movies you're watching, or clips from games you're playing. I want it all. It would also be insanely cool if you could go ahead and rate and review this show. It really helps with the discoverability and getting the show in front of more people. The more people that listen to the show, the more cool shit we can do, which would be incredibly appreciated. I'm sending out requests to the people who made the books we're talking about, and they're more likely to say yes if the show is out there and rated and reviewed. Anyways, that's enough from Future George. Back to the show. Hello, Internet. Welcome to the latest episode of Shortbox Summary. I'm your host, George, and I'm joined by a familiar voice. Welcome back, Fabio. Thanks. Hi. How's it going? Hi. It's it's okay. Your hockey team lost tonight. My hockey team lost last night. So yep. we're both we're both in the pit right now. Don't love it here. Yeah, all weekend. Wait, did you did the Bruins play at home the last two games? Yeah, right. Yeah, they had they had uh they had home advantage. They fucking annihilated oh. the Panthers in the first game and then got systematically destroyed in the second game. Like it was embarrassing. It looked like they'd never played hockey before. They could not gel. And they were playing defensively the entire time, which I don't understand how you do that when you have David Pasternak, who scored 60 goals. But whatever. It's fine. It's fine. They're going to win, probably. So it's fine. Yeah, it's really weird. Jack Hughes for the Devils, he like hit a record, a Devils record for the most scores, uh, the most go- the most goals in a year and or points. Sorry, not goals, points. Um, and... Even with that, all they did was play defensively, and it was the most frustrating thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a huge bummer. Don't don't amazing love that. defense on the power play, no offense on the power play. I don't understand. No, it feels familiar from uh yeah. from from Wednesday night. We're recording this uh Thursday, April twentieth, four twenty. Blaze it. Yep. Uh, beep, 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 beep. Yep. Subscribe to your Green Gods as appropriate. Um, <laughs> and man, Celtics play tomorrow. Speaking of Green Gods, can't wait for that. They're up two zero on the Hawks. There's playoffs for that too, right? Yeah. NBA playoffs, baby. In fact, if we finish this early enough, I'm going to go watch the Sacramento Kings hopefully go up 3-0 on the Warriors because uh, fuck the Warriors into the sun. hate that team. I might watch the uh, Golden Knights play the last little bit. Yeah. they're. Oh, shit. Who are they playing? Uh, Winnipeg? Uh, the Winnipeg, yeah, Jets. Oh, goddamn. The goddamn Jets. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here about sports. We're, it's not a sports podcast. Although I think we could do at least an average sports podcast. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know what I'm talking about, but I I could pretend really well based on my previous knowledge of sports. A lot of a lot of sports for me, it's like uh like that Maya Angelou quote, like like oh you can forget what uh, people say, you can forget what people do, but you never forget how people made you feel. And it's one of those things cool. where like I can't tell you like if the Celtics are doing enough screens. But I can tell you that I don't feel good when Jalen Brown goes to the foul line. Like it's things like that where I'm just like, oh well, I, I I'm great for vibes checks on on sports in all situations. But I can't tell you strategically yeah. what they need to do to improve in the next game. I'm like, I don't know, score more goals. Seems like a good fucking idea to me personally. We could try to just yeah get a little bit more, but yeah, we're uh, uh, we're not the devils too hot right now. We're the, we're the devils a good road team. Not that, um, not that, not that Madison Square Garden is like a road trip, but it's you know. No, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think they were mostly. Um, 
I don't know. They kind of just fell apart. I, I think that they they do this. They like to do this thing where they don't um, know where they're passing it. Oh, okay. They just kind of hit it. They just hit the puck really hard and then hope that at some point, like, I don't know how many times they just sent it for an icing. I don't know. Like even the announcers were like, we don't, that's no reason for that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when you know it's not good. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was a really strange game. But I was kind of uh, I'm, I'm I'm here for the violence, and sure. uh, the, the, the referees are stopping it, and I'm I'm tired of what they're doing to the NHL. And I'm not here for the refs. Gotcha. Not here for the refs. Well, we're not here for sports either. We're here to talk about comics. And Fabio, I am taking like a slight detour. So everything we talked about so far on this podcast, I think plays into like a greater Marvel narrative. I I picked this era not just because I was in high school and I was reading it, although that's a pretty good reason. It's me revisiting the books from high school to figure out if they were good or if I was 15. But I think there's like a really cohesive editorial structure for like eight years straight at Marvel. And I, I feel like a wrestling fan is just like, oh, the Attitude Era was great for this reason, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, oh, yeah. this era at Marvel was so fucking organized. It was like every event happened and then fed directly into the next event. And what a set of dominoes they had that just knocked down into the next big story. And we're about to get to House of M. I feel like I've talked about every major book I wanted to cover and the books I can still talk about from pre-House of M. I feel okay talking about out of context. Like I, I, I want to do like a big Daredevil story. I want to do a big Alias story. But those are good like breaks from like the bigger Marvel narrative. And so before we get into House of M which is where I feel everything changes. I want to take a, a grander look at, at what we're leaving behind. And I really think that with the 2000s, you're kind of saying goodbye to the Silver Age. You're, you're saying goodbye to the Bronze Age. You're saying goodbye to like the classic structure of Marvel Comics. And when I first started reading comics regularly in 2004, I couldn't read all the Silver Age stuff because not a lot of it was in print. And uh, the stuff that was at the comic book shop was super fucking expensive because it was books from the 60s, books from the 70s. And it was all these classic stories about like, oh, the Dark Phoenix saga. You got to read this. It's so important to the X-Men. That book was still in print. I read it in like black and white paperbacks called X-Men Essentials. It was super cool, but it was still kind of hard to get my hands on stuff. And so I found a book that everyone online said was awesome in 2004 called Marvels. And I basically just pretended Marvels was the Silver Age. I was like, okay, I'm just going to pretend that this is Marvel Universe issues zero through four. And I'm just going to pretend that this is the beginning and this is the context I need. So let's just start there. This is your first time reading this book. How do you feel about Marvels as a book being... Uh, sorry, I don't have a better term for this. The ground zero for the Marvel universe. How are we feeling? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's kind of like the context I, I'm kind of missing, I think, is is does this story kind of like stand alone on its own? Yeah, it's it's out of continuity. I'm sure okay. at some point there's been a story involving Phil Sheldon or his his daughters at some point, but like he was an original character created for this book. And this book is just a tour of the Marvel Universe, basically from 1939 until like 1973, I think was like what I read online about like the official tour years of the book. But it basically just covers the inception of the Marvel Universe from like the timely comics era back in the, the late 30s, early 40s through the death of Gwen Stacy. 
in I want to say 1977, but I I don't know my my Spider-Man timeline. I'm not Carlos, who is a regular on the show, who could tell you when Gwen Stacy died. But it, basically, just like the early part of he Marvel. went to the funeral, so he gets it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but how do you feel about this as just like an introduction to the classical era of Marvel? No, I think it's interesting. Um, I would say that if you were to tell me to get the perspective, like the perspective of like an average Joe, typically in comics is not like, I don't give a shit about Jimmy Page. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't find his stories. And like, there have been like, the story is very like focused on him. I don't, uh, it's boring to me. I don't sorry, know. Sorry. J- sorry. Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. Who's Jimmy He's, Page? The, he was the, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin. Guitarist for yeah. Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. I just wanted to double check. I'm like, no, I, would, guy. I would read a book about Jimmy Page. That sounds kind of cool. He had the double neck on a uh, song remains the same. I'd read that. Jimmy Page uh, is way cooler than Jimmy Olsen. Objective. I agree. Fuck Jimmy Olsen. I think he's boring. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, I just think that like a general comic like Marvel or DC or whatever it is, um, whenever they focus on like a human or just a normal like for some, they don't always get it right for some reason. It, it, sometimes it's just kind of lost on me. For me, it's just it takes too long. It's a boring story, typically for me. So yeah. I thought that this was super interesting that like it was able to paint so much context from a very grounded view of what it would be like if gods were among us, you know. I'm glad you said painted too, because this book is by Alex Ross. It's beautiful. It really fucking is, man. So yeah. I I haven't read this book Even in callbacks maybe... to like actual pieces of art. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's really good. Yeah, there's that one scene where it's literally Nighthawks by Hopper, right? <laughs> it's just like them yeah. at the diner. <laughs> yep, yeah. it's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't read this book since since high school and i guess i've been a little desensitized to alex ross because like i've read this i've read kingdom come i read project superpowers which was like taking a whole bunch of public domain characters in like 2007 2008 and like trying to spin a superhero universe out of public domain characters from dynamite and like alex ross and i think alex krueger steven krueger i can't remember his name but like his frequent collaborator that he worked with uh, Red Earth X, like I've seen all this shit by Alex Ross, and uh, he does covers basically now. Like he is doing like the Fantastic Four covers for like the current volume, and it's one of those things like, oh shit, cool, an Alex Ross cover. I forgot seeing him on Interiors, and Jesus, what a beautiful book! Yeah, it 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 is, um, and it, it it's, i'd say it's unique i haven't i don't think i've seen too much of of his art um he's the guy that that did he did uh some really cool justice league art didn't he he was on a book called justice in around this time period actually okay okay yeah i think i think that's what yeah either way it's it's hard to describe but yeah definitely if you can just take a look at it. it it's when people say that they don't like art and comics or whatever i think that like there's a little bit for anyone you know so if you've never been able to enjoy a more like traditional comic book style and you just think it's like too childish or too cartoony like you know these are the kinds of comics that might you know might be the right one for you well fabi you like horror movies right yeah 
yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a bit of contention between like horror fans and then people who say they like elevated horror. Right? Like it's like kind of pretentious where it's like you talk about something that like Jordan Peele does, where it's just like, yeah, this is a horror movie because it's so smart. Like it, it's finding the horror in something more ordinary than just like okay. someone in the basement trying to kill you. You know, like right, 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 like right, Evil right. Dead Rise is a trailer that's been all over the NBA playoffs. That's like all I can think about. And that's like yeah. They talked about, like, how fucking gory that movie was. It's like, yeah, that's a horror movie, but, like, a lowercase h horror movie. Yeah, As, a, yeah, as yeah. opposed to something like like Get Out or Nope, you sure. know, where it's just like, oh, this is a bit more cerebral. And I feel like this book is, like, an elevated comic book. And that comes with, like, a lot of weight, both positive and negative, where it's just like, oh, you don't like comics because it looks like a cartoon? Okay, sure. Look at this. Like this could be in the fucking Smithsonian. Like look at the level of 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 craft that goes into like a small panel of someone just like looking up. Honestly, but, it reminds me. Oh, sorry. Well, just like, oh, this person like mastered oil painting. Like yeah. look at this shit, you know. It reminds me of a lot of the paintings I'd see growing up um in like religious books. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's eerily like similar i'll have to try to send you some some examples of of like old jehovah's witness literature um super super similar style where uh you know the faces are like yeah it's got that oil oil paint style but it's it's also like hyper realistic um but you know very uh I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. it. It's I'll have to send you the I'll have to send you some examples of it. But yeah, it's I'd say at least look into it. It's got a lot, not just the art is mature, but I think that the story is very interesting because it's not it it's for me, the story is more about how humans react to uh, right. what they're being fed. <laughs> versus like the spectacle of heroes um and i find that a super interesting topic yeah man okay so this book it follows a a photojournalist this guy named phil sheldon basically from 1939 when he's young uh wet behind the ears i feel like is a term that they would have said back then to they would have definitely him. said it yeah. yeah right and so it's him basically being introduced to the marvel universe as it unfolds so he's a freelance uh, photographer working for a bunch of newspapers in, in New York city as the Marvel universe is coming to be. And so fuck it. Let's just jump to the first issue. First issue takes place in 1939 and it's basically the inception of the Marvel universe back when it was called timely comics. And so this is like all the war era stuff. And so he is a photojournalist. He's got a girl named Doris. Everything is great and hunky dory. And then all of a sudden he goes to like some science conference and uh, he is introduced to the Human Torch, this guy named Jim Hammond, who is the original Human Torch, who was like a android that when he was exposed to air would just combust. And he's just like, holy fuck, this is weird. Everyone saw a monster, everyone saw a robot. But the way this thing looked at me, I saw a person. And then that went away for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, this dude came out of the sea, this guy named Namor, you know, and then it was just fire and water as as a fight going on between the two. And, like, let's just talk about that for a second. This is the first time anyone's ever seen something spectacular. 
And sorry, we're talking about Marvel's one. There was a zero issue that introduced the Human Torch from the the Human Torch's perspective. That was published later, so we're going to talk about that later. But uh, just like this first issue of Marvel's, Bobby, how would you feel if you had like an ordinary day at work and then you were sent in on assignment and saw someone light on fire? Let's unpack that. Um, yeah, I, I think that there, there's one guy that shouts uh, from the crowd and he's like, I think it's a whole danger. Destroy it or we'll force you. <laughs> so, like, yeah. It's just, yeah, there's uh, not a lot of people are too happy about it or feel comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I feel like it's, there, there's like he humanizes the human torch <laughs> a little bit better than like anyone else around them um and it's just funny how it's like all this instant anger and uh, fear and you know just strange reactions from society about them like immediately you know just because it's something different from what they are used to yeah, and in the beginning, they talk about, like, oh, we're amazing. We beat back the depression, and look at us now. There's a war happening on in Europe. We're going to get involved in that sooner or later, but for now, like, we're just going to enjoy life. And then this thing comes along and just completely makes humanity obsolete, basically. There's a quote where he's saying, marvels, I called them, and that's what they were. Next to that, what were we? Before they came, we were so big, so grand. We were Americans, young, strong, vital. We were the ones who got things done, but we'd gotten smaller. I could see it in those same faces, faces that had once been so confident, so brash. We weren't the players anymore. We were spectators. We were waiting for something without knowing what it was. And in the late spring of 1940, the waiting stopped. You know, there's there's um, there are parallels. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> and yeah. Everything's cyclical, you know, like life is kind of like that all the time yeah. where it's we've already been here we've done it before and i feel like that was kind of a theme of this comic too of like a thousand percent yeah we like didn't we just did we not just learn our lesson you know like didn't we just hate those guys and now we mm-hmm. love them and now we hate them and then we love them again because we're being told to but yeah um it's this feeling of like everything's going wrong like it i don't know i, I think um not trying to get too political or anything like that but they're, they're politicize you know, the fuck out of this fabio let's go there. <laughs> no but i mean like you know the way that we observe even war nowadays is so much different than we did you know years ago and i it's just so interesting how war is you know basically a spectacle um outside of just media i'm talking like the actual current affairs <laughs> right. you know in different parts of the world like you know you can just pull up a uh uh camera you know feed of uh you know some recorded video that was on some you know soldier like 10 minutes ago you know what i mean like and that's now in your hands and you're watching it you don't know how to deal with it or feel about it and but you you can't really like see it coming but you know it's 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 something's you know like it's this weird sensation of you you frequently send me instagram clips of shit from like the uh the ukrainian front against russia and i often don't handle it very well just because i'm like i am probably not supposed to have this information i don't know how to process this based on based on my life (laughs) yeah based on my life and what they're going through like i'm not equipped to like deal with this uh yeah and i don't send you the bad stuff so (laughs) yeah thank you for that i I appreciate that (laughs) but it's interesting how like how you know we we view these things like happening in front of us and 
you know, we like try to make everything a sports team. You know, it's just very strange. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the horrors that we see in front of us and we we just kind of make a spectacle, you know, it's it's spectacle and it's it's I think that that's like such a common theme in this comic of is like observing this crazy shit going on around you. Mm-hmm. Um and feeling impassioned about it, you know, like, like being a hundred percent certain that you feel the way you do and that nothing is, you know, uh, guiding you into a way of thought, you know, that it's just, I feel this way because it's the right way to feel. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, it's the wrong way to feel, you know, like I just, it's very interesting how manipulation is kind of played around with in this comic book. For sure. Yeah. And I always like the thing I never understood. And maybe it's because I was like four years old watching the X-Men cartoon. But I never understood like fearing and hating mutants because I personally thought if I had a friend or if I personally could shoot concussive laser blasts out of my eyes that that would be kind of fucking cool. Yeah. You know, uh, like if I had a friend like, oh, my, my buddy Ben or my buddy Jamie can do that. That's that's rad. Like that's that's not scary. But I think this book does a good job. And it's probably the art doing a lot of the heavy lifting, just like seeing it in this context, as opposed to something more cartoonish. But just like showing like the actual fear and effect and scale of everything that's happening. And so like there's yeah. a bunch there's a bunch of quotes where it's like. How was I supposed to be a husband, maybe a father in a world where any moment a monster could come crashing through our wall? And then Phil talking to his girl, Doris, look at us just sitting here waiting. There isn't a thing we can do. And this is our city, our world. Who gave them the right to just come in and take it away from us? And so I'm not justifying like the anger that Phil's feeling, but I think it's probably brought to life better here than almost any other comic like the the way specifically like the coloring is done with comics now it feels very detached from like the real world where it very much feels like you're holding a piece of fiction but reading this book it doesn't feel like you're holding fiction it feels like you're holding like a document like it, it feels like you're holding something that was quite literal in a way that no offense to modern comic artists i think they're crushing it but like it just it has so much more impact i feel with with yeah. this art by Alex Ross. Yeah, I there's there's this one, I don't know if it's the next. No, it's just it's book 1. Um there's the end of book 1 where basically it's it, cuz the book kind of plays around with this idea of, you know, as you start off with the human torch, they're freaks, right? Something's mm-hmm. wrong. And this is horrifying. It's 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 an other. Yeah. Um and then um they kind of realize how strong they are and they realize that like they can actually like work together to try to fight the nazis and that Mm -hmm. kind of like becomes a huge goal of theirs and then all of a sudden it's it's a it's a very big um propaganda push you could say because i mean in the newspapers in the news everything is pushing for them and you can see the change in people of how they feel Oh, buddy, it. buddy, I got the exact quote for you right here. The Human Torch and the Submariner had fought against the warmongers before, but never so publicly, never so spectacularly, and never together. And if it struck me as odd at the time to applaud two men who'd caused so much destruction so recently, I was too busy cheering to notice. Overnight, we adopted the Marvels as our boys, and we weren't shy about it. The world had shifted again. The dark, menacing shadows had been lit up, and it turns out not to be monsters at all. Yeah. So it's it's interesting because like there there's different ways of viewing it. They, you know, they had literally caused destruction and death 
right. <laughs> in their cities. You know what I mean? Like they had killed humans and, you know, th- oh, with their own fights. And- this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the issue where Namor like raises a giant tidal wave and like floods out subway stations, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Like it's him waging war on, on land yeah. for polluting his oceans. And like, this is yeah. also the issue where we get Captain America who like brings them together too, right? Like, right. And the most and amazing either. thing was this. No one was scared of him. He was such a marvel as the torture, the su- submariner, but he was never a threat like they were. Was it because they were outsiders and he was one of us, our own personal American champion? Like, we, we, immediately after they introduce these characters, he's already questioning everything he had thought before. Right. Right. And, you know, it, he's like, he's not saying that he's immune to propaganda, which is something we should all tell ourselves. <laughs> None of us are immune to propaganda. <laughs> no, think... I, I watched Mandalorian season finale tonight. and I'm like, fuck, the army is kind of cool, especially if they had jetpacks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, th- I think that this comic brings up a lot of really interesting facts where it's like at the end of the day, we don't, you know, yeah, they did all this terrible stuff, but they also s- saved us today, you know, right. <laughs> and you know, and, and uh, you know, they also do dive bombs onto Nazi bases. You know what I mean? And who else is doing that? Who else can do that? Who else will? You know, that, so it, man, that, that's one thing that I think is super interesting about college from the 30s is like they had to come up with excuses as to why they didn't just like go over and end the war. And so like in, in DC Comics, it was because Hitler had uh, the Spear of Destiny, like the spear that pierced the side of Christ. Yeah. And so, like, that magical object prevented, like, the Justice Society from going over and just ending the war in a day. Yeah. And then in Marvel Comics, it was literally like, oh, well, we're not at war yet. Like, oh, but there's Nazi saboteurs here at the base, here, here at Camp Lehigh in, in New Jersey, you know? And so it's just, like, them doing shit like that, which is why all the early Marvel stories take place, like, it's stateside. Like, it's just them, like, fucking with Nazis who are trying to fuck with the United States. Yeah. And I think I think, you know, comics do have like a tendency to leave out the reasons why things are happening, <laughs> you know, yeah. like the, the that that, you know, somebody made a decision somewhere. They kind of just bypass that and they go straight into here's what happened and here's how it got fixed kind of thing. Sure. Um, so I, I think it's it, it does have a habit of, of leaving out, you know, all the little facts and all the choices others make that end up causing a really shitty thing to happen. But as it stands, you know, it definitely brings up that duality of like, you know, yes, they are wreaking havoc, but also sometimes good. So, <laughs> um, and he he admits that, you know, like he was there, like he was saying that, like, should we trust them or whatever? Like, they just did all this other stuff, but I'm cheering. So feeling good about it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's funny because we're going to get like the exact opposite in the next book as yeah. as things get, uh, I don't even want to say complicated just because like, like I previously said, I don't understand like the animosity towards mutants, but uh, we're, we're going to jump into it. Uh, I got a couple more quotes for you. Uh, so Phil Sheldon, the, the photojournalist we were talking about, our, our, our entry point into this story, he is running off to find... Uh, like better shots, better angles, basically of the Human Torch fighting the Submariner, and uh, there's some debris that falls and actually causes him to lose his eye. And uh, he's in the hospital recovering, and uh, he had broken up with his his fiance Doris because he just didn't feel like a man. He like didn't understand how he could be a father. I, I think it was like the quote I I read earlier, just like he felt like oh man, like. 
when this is all over, I'll I'll come back and I'll be ready to be your husband. But like the world is just too crazy for us to be together right now. And then he realizes like, oh, the world is only going to get weirder. Fuck it. Let's just be together. (laughs) And he's saying to her, uh, she's like, well, aren't you going to do something? He's like, am I mad at the Marvels for taking my eye? Am I going to swear vengeance on them, devote my life to destroying them all or driving them out of our world so everything can be the way it was again? Is that what you're asking? She goes, "Uh, something like that. Nah, I'm going to have more important things to do. There's a war on for one. And we've got a wedding to plan. That is, if you're willing to marry Popeye, the cameraman. And so just his immediate acceptance of like how strange the world is about to become, I actually found really romantic and uh, one of the more endearing moments for for Phil in this whole story. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I uh, I'm very interested in your take on the whole mutant thing. Oh my god, it gets so fucking dark. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I think I know the answer to when you asked, like, you, like you said, you don't really get why, like, there was so much hatred towards the mutants. Like, at the end, 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 there's, I think there's an answer for us. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, one final quote from issue one, and this is like when things sort of come together for Phil. I've been waiting for the Marvels to go away. And when I realized that day, maybe what we all realized, they weren't some temporary thing like the World's Fair or the Olympics or even the war. They were for real. The Marvels are here to stay. And there's more of them all the time. Citizen V, the Wizard, the Blue Diamond. I could wait forever if I wanted. But that would stop me, not them. And the thing I didn't see until I was up on that building and the wave was crashing around me. It isn't going to be them that adapts to us. The world is different. The rules have changed. And nobody has any idea what the future is going to bring. But you know what? It's going to be one hell of a ride finding out. Yeah. Yeah, Phil. Buckle up, bitch. It's about to get (laughs) weird. All right. So issue two, I guess, is... Uh, sorry, issue one had a cover date of January 10th, 1994, so I assume that means it came out like October 93. Uh, I'm just going to read the, the the cover dates for these just because it's a lot easier for me personally. Uh, Marvels 2 has a cover date of January 31st, 1994, so all these books came out in a two-month period, which is fucking amazing when you consider the art, so they were clearly planning this for a while just based on, you know, everything in the book. I think that's a safe assumption. I don't yeah, think yeah. Alex Ross did this overnight. Uh, and this book is uh, book two is really just about everyone sort of coming to grips with the silver age of, of comics. Like this was the birth of the fantastic four. This was the appearance of Spider-Man. This was the incredible Hulk. This was this really like the second wave of Marvel comics. They were officially Marvel comics at this point and everything was weirder. So like, I guess in the first book, the Marvel age was invented, right? It was Jim Hammond, the human torch uh, being exposed to oxygen in that lab. And that was like the birth of something new. And then in Marvel's too, this is all about the Marvel universe sort of happening by accident, right? Like everything was an accident in, in this era, the fantastic four go up into space and they have like a mission and they're, and they're exposed to cosmic rays. The incredible Hulk is, you know, at a bomb site, someone wanders in on a dare and uh, he goes out to say that person he's accidentally exposed to gamma rays the x-men uh you know it's 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 a lottery i guess either positively or negatively however you want to view it like it's just like 
by chance of how you're born. Spider-Man goes to a field trip bitten by a radioactive spider. Like this is all an accident. So while the Marvel Universe in the 30s and 40s was created, this is all just the reaction, I guess, to a, a weirder world. And so it opens with Phil narrating over the Avengers fighting Black Knight. It was life or death. It was grand opera. It was the greatest show on earth. And we, every single one of us, we had the best seat in the house. And so it talks about these big heroes. It talks about the Avengers. It talks about the Fantastic Four. And even a little bit, it talks about Spider-Man, though not not as much Spider-Man. But it's talking about these people being these grand things in their life, right? Like these big, like large in life, like these actual gods, right? And just like how marvelous it was to behold them. And then this book also introduces the X-Men. And somehow the X-Men just do not get the same slack that heroes do. Yeah, it's strange. And I I think they kind of go into it and it might be at the very, very end. But I think the idea of like propaganda kind of comes into play again. It's who wants what information to be um portrayed in a certain light um when it's convenient and Mm -hmm. i think that like it was convenient like we look at the you know the the marvel heroes like dropping in on a nazi base like the avengers coming in uh all of that like it was at first demonized then accepted then demonized again for a little bit then accepted and it was uh the news did have like i did notice there was a lot of uh, newspapers and a lot of jonah j, j. jonah jameson and uh, oh yeah oh he yeah he was a uh, he was like a contemporary of phil he was like a young up-and-comer yeah. and also we i forgot to mention even in the first issue of marvels like we saw nick fury back when he had two fucking eyes yeah like yeah. he was just, it was just like a quick, like, hey, what do you think about the wars? Like, I can't wait to punch those Nazi scum and the yeah. dumb mugs, you know. Bop, bop, bop. But it was, it was a spectacle out of it, you know. And that's kind of what I mean, like, even with, you know, just like that twenty-four hour, like, getting the worst out of the worst of the news. And I think, I think sometimes it's important to see like the most fucked up shit happening in the world to a certain degree because I, I think that it's easy to to forget <laughs> what's what the world's really like in some places um but i i do i do find it you know that constant spectacle of it you know is is strange and it's you know it is it definitely does have like a a toll you know that it it does play on like regular everyday people just going to work every day and opening their phones and just watching this shit it's a spectacle and it, it starts to become like a like that and so they're that happens even more and more throughout the comics too, because they even have like appointments set up for scheduled, like little, you know, pretend fights at, you know, baseball games and things like that. It's entirely spectacle. Like the idea of these, these people that were literally killing them in the streets while they were battling. Like it's this really weird dissociation of like what's actually happening. And and this idea that it's also spectacle, like it's weird how their, their perception was able to be like, kind of focused into this idea that it's it's okay it's great it's all spectacle it's strange because they like and he brings that up multiple times too yeah. where he's like didn't we just hate these people like how do we keep going back and forth with this how do we oh yeah back? huge theme throughout the book and it really yeah. starts here and um he's like coming back from some event in in the comic 
And then he sees like a riot, basically. Like he sees people being like, oh, let's go be angry. We got to be angry about this. He's like, angry about what? He's like, it's a fucking mutant. We got to go. He doesn't say fuck it. That, that, was, a, that was a George he embellishment. He was feeling it, though. Yeah, he want, you could tell he wanted to say the yeah, hard he just F. wanted to drop. Not a hard F. F. Not a hard, like a soft F. I think the hard F is a different word. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Phil's narrating. And uh, like I guess like the crowd thought like the mutants were trying to hurt someone. And he says, I heard later someone said they weren't trying to kill the man, but save him after he fell. But that doesn't make any sense. They wanted us all dead. Everybody knew that. The X-Men. I'd never seen them before, but I'd heard of them. Superpowered mutants. Freaks. They look just like normal people, but you could never tell. And there's this really amazing moment as like Phil's confronting the X-Men with this like mob mentality with all these people around him. They've all got bricks and shit. And like Phil's even holding a brick. And he talks about, like, how weird it is. He's just like, I document the news. I'm not supposed to become part of it. Like, what the fuck was I thinking? And there's one line that Cyclops says as, like, they're thinking about retaliating for these people that are trying to hurt them. And he just says, they're not worth it. And he's just like, what the fuck does that mean? We're not worth it. fucked with it for so long. (laughs) And Phil continues to say, but there is something about mutants. They were the dark side of the Marvels. Where Captain America and Mr. Fantastic spoke to us about the greatness within us all, the mutants were death. They didn't even have to do anything. They were our replacements, scientists said. The next evolutionary step, we, uh-huh. homo sapiens, were obsolete and they were the future. They were going to kick the dirt onto our graves. Scientists said. Well, you can't trust you can't trust scientists. You gotta do your own research, right? That's Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of dumb scientists out there. There's lots of dumb doctors out there. Don't, yeah. Don't just trust all of them. Yeah, but also, like, I'm going to counter that by saying, like, well, if 98% of scientists say that climate change is real, and, like, one person's just like, eh, it's not, and they're being paid by an oil company, I don't know, maybe listen to the 98% of scientists. You know, like, there, there's some times where you should, really like, really trust a scientist. You should trust a scientist you trust, I guess. Is. That's the point, at, you know, who's paying for it? You know, who's paying for this information to be let out? And if it's the oil company, maybe we don't trust that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not shitting on science. I, I, like, we climate change is, we know it's happening. We see it. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's terrifying. Uh, yeah. But, you know, like, you know, it, at the same time, like, looking at, at, you know, what he's kind of experiencing, it's, uh, he kind of had like a moment from Hot Rod where like there's all the rioting and he's just standing there holding a TV. He's like, it's terrible. And everyone was just <laughs> nothing we could do except try to escape. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, he was, and he didn't even understand the way he felt. And it's just interesting that somebody told him how to feel about it. And right. As like worked. a journalist too, as someone who, who is like not this familiar with, the unfamiliar you know we like are a, not immune to propaganda yeah and so phil's narration continues uh in a way the mutants were worse than the super villains the eel he was just a man in a suit dangerous sure but the torch would stop him he'd protect us who would protect us from the mutants i had to wonder were the mutants the price we paid for the marvels the negatives without which the pictures we wanted wanted couldn't exist and so he's like waxing poetic about just like, is, is this like some kind of penance? Do we have to deal with mutants, you know, to have the marvels? And he he goes on to talk about like, oh, well, like, at least this is just a problem for the city. We don't have to worry about this in the suburbs. Nothing bad ever happens out in the burbs. And he comes home and uh, there's like a mutant that they found. They're just like, oh, this little girl, she had a skull face. Fuck her. Like, fuck mutants. <laughs> like, they're, they're terrible. 
And he goes home so worried about his kids, his two daughters. And it turns out the mutant is hiding out at his house. His daughter's found her in the park, you know, and she's, I'm sorry to say this, weird looking. You know, she's got like these, like those big, like gray alien, like the stereotypical alien design of like, you know, tall gray people, big eyes, like from South Park. She has like those types of eyes. And then Phil like wants to be so angry. He's talking about like how the neighbors are going to burn his fucking house down if they find out he's harboring a mutant. And his wife's just like, what are we supposed to do? And he just looks at her and just like, for God's sake, Doris, she's just a little girl. Like, what the fuck? Like, like, this is what everyone's so afraid of? She's just a child. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's like his his blue pill, his red pill. What's the good one? What what what's I, like I don't know. Yeah, let's he not probably talk. took a good pill. You're he right. probably Look. took like like something that was like good for for dairy, you know, like because he can't drink milk or he gets a tummy ache. Sure, yeah, probably like that that kind of pill. Yeah, it's the kind of pill that made him feel better. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, the uh, he did have like all this fear, right? That like every you know they were gonna kill his mm-hmm. entire family, and I, I that's valid. <laughs> they were doing some wild shit, but um. I think there's there's something interesting like in the the next day where he's like talking about how he doesn't know what to do and right outside of the Daily Globe there's like some guy selling t-shirts and it's, he's just like t-shirts get your official wedding t-shirts and it's like read and sue forever and then like a fantastic four with a heart around it and it's just once again you know like this very large push that the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, they're great. They're awesome. Like, you know, right. like it's this spectacle. Again. We love we love them. Yeah. We love them, but the mutants haven't done anything, but we don't like them. And it's it's just interesting how like uh they didn't really learn shit from the no, last time not, they demonized an entire group of people. Not a goddamn thing. And Phil to his credit, uh goes through this issue feeling one way in the beginning, comes out this issue feeling another way by the end. He has one last quote I want to share with you from this issue. You could see it in their faces. They weren't thinking. They were just afraid and angry and they were lashing out. And they woke up tomorrow. And sorry. And when they woke up tomorrow morning, it would just be a dream. Something that happened to someone else. I had to get a record. Had to show them. Show us all what we did in our nightmare. And so he goes out during another mutant riot and just like tries to show like you fucking animals, like you, you, you children, like this is how you're reacting to something so banal in our strange world. Like everything weird that can happen has happened. And this is how you're choosing to react to it. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry to say, Fabio, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't make a difference. None whatsoever. No, uh, Dr. Bolivar, fortunately. <laughs> Oh yeah, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Bolivar Trask um, introduces the Sentinels. Has a debate with uh, with Professor Xavier on TV, and the Sentinels just fucking go crazy, saying "We answer to no one" in what I assume is a super robotic voice because it was the sixties after all, yeah. and just start lashing out. And then the Sentinels just go fucking crazy in Manhattan. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like you know, I I've just seen a lot of really stupid takes, and I'll be like, "Well, a doctor said it," and you. <laughs> It's like, well, there's plenty of doctors on Fox News that like say lots of things. Um, yeah, no, they uh, there's a doctor who shut down like the the Lyme disease vaccine. I gotta tell you, Fabio, living in Maine with three dogs, 
Wish I could get a fucking Lyme disease vaccine. That'd be pretty fucking cool right now. You Thanks didn't a lot. Even know we had those. That's Thanks awesome. a lot. Thanks a lot, Jenny McCarthy, for getting it, it shut awesome. down. Yeah, it's like, oh, you were the you were the host on MTV's singled out a aggressively average dating show in the nineties, but you don't like vaccines. Well, fuck it. Guess guess no one can get vaccines now. Oh, you're on the Mass Singer. Go fuck yourself. I hate yeah. Jenny. Mac- I hate Jenny McCarthy so much. Yeah, that's fair. Also, the British but- doctor who talked about vaccines causing autism. It's like, oh, cool. So you're telling me it's easier to love a dead kid than an autistic kid. Well, you're a piece of shit. All right. Anyways, <laughs> X Men. Uh, yeah. So he, um, he does bring up this interesting point where he's like looking at um uh, just some some uh newspapers, and he's saying like I'm just gonna quote it. It says, aside from the scientific stuff, there were reports of the X-Men freeing a military base from Magneto, protecting defense secrets, even attending an engagement party at the Baxter building. On the other hand, and then he's just fucking Daily Globe, <laughs> mutant menace, <laughs> Dr. Boulevard Trask, noted scientist researcher warns of mutant plot against the US. And it's like, artist interpretation of the fate of mankind. And it's just this mutant just whipping the backs like of people like if they were Egyptians <laughs> building a fucking pyramid. And yeah, it's just like that was his entire other argument was on the other hand, uh, yeah. it's an artist interpretation. Uh, like it's just amazing <laughs> how how his heart like is easily swayed. And like I I, I don't know, I, I find that interesting. I know you are um really invested in in the climate and what we're doing to the climate I mean, and if, if this is reversible or not. But like I I, I think it's <laughs> Well, I think it's so funny that like people are like, can't spend all this money trying to fix the climate. Like climate change is fake. It's like, well, okay, let's say climate change isn't going to be as bad as they say. So all this like investment we're going to do to the infrastructure is like, okay, so it's just going to clean up air pollution at the very least, right? It's just like, oh, it's going to like cut down on on cancers that that people get from inhaling pollutants. Like, isn't that a win? Oh, it's just going to have like more water in the Colorado River if if we in- institute these new like policy changes. And so it's like, oh, even if catastrophe isn't on the fucking menu people are just like so against like net positive change just because they don't want to inconvenience themselves by doing something different and it really feels like this is the same argument that they're having here where it's just like oh no these people are like actually like net positive these people are net good and they're like yeah but they're fucking different weren't growing in a lab like my good boy cap so fuck them in the face it's like ah, i don't understand how you can support one and not the other yeah, yeah, I think uh I think I think that that's just what it comes down to is is what they're being told, you know, is like what some of these these bigger names are telling them. And um he even mentioned something the the main character even mentioned something throughout the comic and it's it's later on when it's more about Gwen Stacy, but he kind of brings up that Gwen Stacy was a nobody. Like she mm-hmm. wasn't famous. And he was like, you know, and maybe that's what was important after all. But like the whole thing of him even thinking of that and at least, you know, reflecting, like looking at like the character from the outside of the writing, you know, and how they wrote that character. I don't know what they intended with it, but just looking at it and the fact that that was like part of the questioning, it just shows this like celebrity mindset that is somehow imposed by like media and the spectacle of the hero. Right, <laughs> and right. and the demonizing of the other you know and it's it's it works and it you just get a couple big names to go and sign off on something and you know play into people's fears and it seems like it works <laughs> i'm glad time. 
I'm glad you said that because this book came out in like 93, 94. I didn't discover it until like 2004, 2005-ish, right? And I was just like looking for more Marvel books and this one was always in circulation. And that was like at the height of like Us and People Magazine, right? And it was just like the celebrity culture was rampant, especially in like the early 2000s. And like, you think it's bad now with like the Kardashians. It's pretty fucking bad now. But it was somehow it felt grosser back then, but also more normalized, right? Because like you go grocery shopping and then you just see like a picture of Ben Affleck with someone is just like, oh, since Ben and JLo split, like who's the new bimbo that you find Ben Affleck with? And it was just shit like that. And reading this book now, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like this was my teenage years. Like this was uh, like this was Us Magazine. This was People. Like this was just everywhere I went, whether I went to the grocery store or the drugstore or a bus station like it was just all this shit all the time yeah yeah and it 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 definitely works on a lot of people (laughs) you know it's uh it's hard to to say anything otherwise it's hard to like fight against it when you do feel like there's only so much you could do and that you know the character kind of does say that multiple times where it's kind of just like what are we gonna do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah. or it's about to get way weirder um <laughs> uh, you know I, I, there's only so much each of us individually can do on our levels but uh, it's interesting to to see how like especially how old this is like i don't know maybe it started with reagan i don't fucking know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that feels right like he defunded a lot of government and then he's just like see government can't do anything it's like well yeah did you slash their budgets like and he had that celebrity status you know yeah that that too <laughs> he had that celebrity status uh nancy reagan was a throat goat so yeah we both had yeah. celebrity status all right r.i.p throat goat yeah <laughs> um also worth noting in this book uh phil pitches to his editor a, a photo book about all these heroes called marvel's and uh, I just thought it was funny that, like, the three authors that, like, his his editor uh, fed to him was like, who do you want to write it? Like, do you want Isaac Asimov, Ben Urich, or Norman Mailer? And, like, Isaac Asimov and Norman Mailer are real authors from the real world. Isaac Asimov, huge science fiction guy. Yeah. It's like the, the Foundation series, among other things. And uh, Norman Mailer, I think he had, like, a best-selling book in every year since World War One until he died like 70 years later, I believe. And then Ben Urich, a uh, total comic book character. And uh, weird that that's the person he gets partnered with. But uh, whatever. I'm ready to move on to Marvel's 3. Are, are you ready to move on? One more thing um, that happens. Yeah. Wait, is this this is Sentinels, right? This issue? Marvel's 2 is Sentinels, yeah. Yeah, so um, there's there's a part where, you know, they there's another riot, more mutants, someone freaked out and um they just start beating the shit out of each other anybody they suspect is a mutant they just start beating the shit out of it mm-hmm. and as the sentinels come in um kind of like a good timing you know it could have been on purpose the timing it could have been that they were looking for somebody specific or that potentially this riot happened around coincidentally the same time that the government decided to send out the sentinels weird huh um <laughs> but wake you know, up sheeple yeah <laughs> <laughs> but they all looked around and they all realized what they were doing and that was like 
horrifying to see. Oh yeah, that's huge. All the all the mutant stuff happened at night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Un unlike the first issue where everything was happening in clear daylight. Like it looked like a like a Renaissance like religious painting, like the way you were talking right. about it, like with Jehovah's Witnesses. And then everything happened in the X-Men issue, like all the mutant stuff happened at night. And then the bright lights of the Sentinels illuminated everything and, sh and showed everyone for what they really were. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it's interesting because who sent the Sentinels? Do we know specifically? Technically, it was Bolivar Trask, Dr. Sorry, Dr. Bolivar Trask. Um, but there, there's always been implications that like he was working with someone in the government and then he just did it yeah. himself to, you know, take blame off the U.S. government for right right fucking right. up its own citizens and that's like also, that, that's also like the modern day like oh post 9-11 of course this would happen but back right. in the day i i think it was more earnest and it was just him acting on his own yeah and i mean there were other people in the government as we learned at the end there was like a senator that was actually like oh yeah no that's actually i believe it was senator kelly and like in the x-men yeah. comics that's like the dude who dies and causes like the days of future past timeline yeah yeah exactly yeah. so i mean there were people involved in the government as well and it's just interesting like you know nowadays we have robot dogs being deployed in new york to actually patrol so like you know it's it's just a little weird how ahead of its time this comic was you know like yeah that yeah, something could be deployed to find an unwanted or I, I never thought i'd say this i hate how right marvel comics and metal gear solid 4 were <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah also i don't boston, think you some asshole at boston dynamics fucking played metal gear solid 4 at oh point. man yeah you didn't took you it didn't... way wrong you're not watching mandalorian this season yet you missed right? the whole point no i have i haven't seen it. i honestly man... didn't even realize it was on until i saw a trailer yesterday it said oh it just it just wrapped up <laughs> yeah last episode <laughs> yeah. came out yesterday and there's one episode where they go to a world that's like inhabited entirely by droids but like some of the droids are like starting to rebel and uh it's like it's mandalorian and bo-katan and they go to this planet and uh bo katan is like talking to one of the droids like normally and then mandalorian because he or din jaren because like he grew up like during the clone wars he just like hates fucking droids he, he just absolutely hates droids kind of racist towards droids actually uh he just starts like he just starts like kicking them like at the dock where they're working waiting for one of them to snap and it's just like those videos of those people at boston dynamics who like Oh, look at this dog. Oh, he's carrying 200 pounds. Let me just fucking kick him as hard as I can. Let me try to push him off the staircase. It's exactly like that, just in Star Wars. It's so funny and uh, terrifying because we don't have a, a Din Djarin or a Bo-Katan Kreese to, to protect us from. Nope. And nope. no robot dogs of our own. Nope. No heroes here. Marvel's number three with a cover date of March 9th, 1994. This issue, I guess... I guess the cynicism started in in issue two, right? Because he immediately was skeptical of the 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 mutants hated them because everyone else hated them, and then he met Maggie, the the young girl in his home. Yeah, and uh, she eventually left. She left like a really heartfelt note saying like, "Hey, I don't want to get in trouble." Like, I'm Sentinel just... Night, by the way. Yes, for that matter. Uh, and then she just like left and went off on her own. And I can't remember if Maggie is like a, a recurring character or not. So I have no idea if, if her story ends happily, if she finds her way to the X-Men. I don't recall her. So that's like I not know. a, not a great sign. Yeah. There's also like 50 million mutants. 
there were until well, 2001. Thanks, Grant Morrison. <laughs> you know? And then thanks again, Scarlet Witch. We're going to talk about that real soon in House of M. Anyways, uh, that's like where the seeds of, of cynicism started. And then Marvel's 3 is like where it really comes to bear. I don't have many notes for this issue. This issue takes place between Fantastic Four 48 and 50. And this is like the Galactus arc, right? And so he's trying to have like a nice day with his family at the zoo. And like this guy comes up saying judgment day is upon us. It starts flooding. Right. And he's just like, this is the first sign. He's just like, quit scaring my fucking kids. He goes like kind of Harrison Ford on the guy at the zoo. who has like the judgment days here. Yeah. Yeah. Repent sign. And then all of a sudden there's, uh, I I think like a giant wall of fire just appears and they're like, Oh, this is the second sign. And then there's like a, asteroid field basically just appears in the atmosphere right and it's just like all these rocks and they're like oh this is like meteor is coming down from god this is the third sign of the apocalypse and it turns out it's not the apocalypse it is galactus and galactus is here to eat the shit out of the earth this is one of the most famous silver age marvel comics and phil has like a turnabout here he his job tells him that he should go out and snap pictures of this incredible event Dude is just like, no, none of this matters. None of this could possibly matter compared to my family. And so he just starts like uh, this odyssey back home. He tries to drive through like the, I think it's the Lincoln Tunnel to get back to Sparta, Queens. Uh, Everyone abandoned their cars. So he just starts walking and then he walks and he sees all these people who are preparing for the end of the world. And then he finally gets home and the Fantastic Four by then have have stopped the, the issue. Yeah, yeah. There's, um... There were a couple things like right before that, you know, when he was like at the park or whatever, and there was like an Avengers Day. Yeah. Um, and uh, he starts, like you said, he starts to question things a little bit, you know, like there's people from the city offering their apologies to the Avengers for, you know, supposedly causing. Oh, fuck. OK, yeah. OK, so that that's a, that's a big Marvel story where like the, the masters of evil, I think, had pretended to be the Avengers and uh, and, you know, masqueraded as them for a bit. And it just everyone felt like an ass after like, of course, you would never do that. Captain America, you're, you're a good guy. I believe that's the story is referencing. Okay. I thought that happened after the uh, the Fantastic Four. But like that was it. I don't know the issue numbers that well. I'm not a huge okay. Silver Age guy. I find those books honestly pretty hard to read. And that's why I consider this like my Silver Age education. But uh, Phil has like crisis of conflict, like crisis yeah. of conscience, I guess, like throughout this entire issue. And so at one point he says to himself, as things are getting more complicated, like as things are becoming less black and white of like who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, he says, my photos showed heroes, but were they accurate? Atomic power had been a shining miracle once too before the Cold War, before it became something to fear. Were we misjudging the marvels or were we simply starting to see them for what they really were? And so that little crisis of faith it's kind of short-lived, which is one thing I appreciate just because I feel like Phil, more than most people in the Marvel Universe, understands the inherent good these characters are trying to do. And I feel like that's still apparent in this issue, even though we barely see the heroes at all. Like, we see a couple shots of the Fantastic Four fighting Galactus, but, like, we don't see it from Phil's perspective. We see it from, like, news reports and whatnot, because Phil, like I said earlier, is just trying to get home. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's 
there's this whole concept of propaganda and basically if you can convince people to not know the difference between what's real and what's not it's pretty easy to control <laughs> to control them uh, there's like a whole theory about that and, and it's it's kind of noted here where like you know if that event had actually happened where um they were duped you know the avengers were duped and like somebody pretended to be them mm -hmm. he's questioning it even though that's actually what happened you know like now he doesn't know what to believe it's what it seems like as far as phil goes like he doesn't really know how to feel about anything because he's just been lied to so many times and he's confused and i mean even there's a part two where i found interesting where you know there's all this drama between uh stark and the government Oh and, yeah. Uh, oh fuck yeah. This PR is This is the issue. Yeah, yeah. Where they keep like trying to be like, won't you please come out and visit us? And he's just like, ah, I don't. I don't know. Don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> here, here. Check out some of the charity we do. It's fascinating. And she hands him this like leather bound fucking book about. Oh stuff. yeah, it stops being phone calls and she comes like in person to do it. Yeah. 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 So you know, definitely trying to plant. A message in you know as fast as as easy as possible so right um yeah just really interesting things at play <laughs> yeah but there's also like his his psyche i feel like isn't quite there yet because like he i feel like he's mostly believing the heroes because like I, I got a couple more quotes for you from this issue where he says like after the whole galactus incident he says the whole city seemed embarrassed somehow ashamed of their terror now that it had passed and they were still alive and they were taking it out on the Marvels, denying what had happened and blaming the Marvels for the fear they felt. Like, he, he recognizes, like, oh, this isn't their fault whatsoever. They did everything they could to save us. But it, it's like you can control, you can't control what other people do. You can only control what you do. And Phil seems to be the only one who can control what he does. And no one else feels comfortable accepting their position in the world the way Phil does. And maybe it's just because he is a photographer and he's had unprecedented access, I guess, to their world. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, it's kind of like, uh, he's there, but not there. Um, so like, he's like, they're taking the photos and everything like that, but to know the context, you know, it was mm -hmm. something that always escaped him. Like he was never that close to it until he lost his eye pretty much. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, he like obviously had been following it for his entire career enough to be able to actually note like, what do people's faces look like when they're watching the spectacle? When they're watching the Avengers have a giant fucking fight with aliens in the downtown Manhattan, you know? Like, oh, yeah, he does. He does talk about having a book of just people reacting to Marvels. Yeah, yeah he was like a whole new segment he wanted to add into his book. So it, it's, um, yeah, he's I, I do. I do. He does question a lot of things. It seems like he's constantly going back and forth, um, which is fair and valid uh when you're seeing the crazy shit that you're seeing <laughs> right. like i do love the art though when galactus lands and there's the uh and, and silver surfer um come down Abs and everything that is some of the coolest art I think absolutely incredible and i love that phil like lashes out at the end of the issue he says you people what do you need the world to actually end are you so busy digging for garbage you can't even admit to yourselves that you're grateful look up why don't you look up for once in your lives and I feel like that is his snap moment. Like that's his uh, falling down moment where he just 
uh, red pill, blue pill. I don't know what it is. He's he's been good pilled. Where it's just like, dude, they <laughs> saved us again. Like, like, what more do you fucking want? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's interesting. I do like the uh, there's a part in that issue where everyone's kind of assuming it's the end of the world. And there's that guy who's just fucking drunk as shit. He's like, where's the pretzels? Gotta have a party. <laughs> it's the end of the world. <laughs> that would, got it all figured out. That would probably be my role in uh, <laughs> in the apocalypse. Like, I can't handle it when my team has, like, a playoff loss. So, like, yeah, I think if I were to see, like, a 75-foot-tall <laughs> man with a weird crown on his head that was purple, and he told me he was going to eat the world after you know he encompassed it in fire i'd probably be like yeah yeah let's enjoy some baked goods i haven't had a croissant in a couple of years Should probably knock that off the list before we all go no and I, I and i'm not a student of the buddha but um there are some moments in this book that i think that he uh like he has like a very interesting moment where he's he's kind of like walking home and the streets are silent because galactus is just like destroying downtown um before the fantastic four stop him and uh he's just he 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 looks around he realizes it's like all silent no one around it's kind of like when the pandemic first hit and it was really fucking quiet he's like was was this what it's uh going was this what it's going to be like silence and emptiness forever um and i that's you know that's what he wonders you know about death is this is this pretty much the end of it and he's like picturing himself and there's like this whole like practice of just kind of picturing what it'll be like you know like what 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 that is like and and it brings solace i think and that's kind of like the character that phil is is you know he's like the kind of guy that has pictured his own death multiple times you know (laughs) like because he's almost died multiple times and you can tell like how whatever he is about everything and he's just going with it as it comes and it's it's interesting I get, I get how it's supposed to come for you, but have you ever had sleep paralysis? No, it sounds not like a bad time. It's a pretty fucking bad time. I've only had it happen like two or three times in my life, but like, god damn, is it a, a terrifying feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, But he was you- able to like get through this because of like, I think his viewpoint on the world, you know? Yeah. I'm I'm just saying, tell your Buddha that uh, imagining the end and what it'd be like to be one with nothing. Wow, dude. Buddha's probably going to fuck you up in your sleep. Not that great. You know, he's the one who causes sleep paralysis. Uh, Oh, that's, uh, does he sit on my arms? Is that why, is that why I can't move? (laughs) Damn it, Buddha. Uh, Marvel's four with a cover date of April 1st, 1994. Uh, this issue is all about Phil trying to exonerate Spider-Man from the death of, of George Stacy, which is like a hugely formative event in Silver Age comics. And so he talks to J. Jonah Jameson, uh, seeing how angry he was he, and, and gr- growing more, I guess, cynical of the world that doubts the Marvels, even though all they do is save us. And he connects with George Stacy's daughter, Gwen. And then he sees her die at the hands of Green Goblin. He's supposed to go to some event to cover the thing fighting, I think, Thundera or something I can't remember her name some some villain who yeah I gotta be frank not not that important uh and he passes on that to go to Rikers to interview Dr. Octopus the the villain who is present for the death of 
George Stacy and tries to get the answer. And then by the end of it, he's just admits that he like he's lost his stuff and he can't be objective anymore. He's he's too in it and he passes the torch on to his assistant, uh, Marsha Hardesty, and um basically retires at the end of the story. And it's really funny. Yeah. I, I can't wait to talk about the fucking end with you. <laughs> because that that has its own nice little moment but um yeah it opens with him at the bookstore and he says my publisher was delighted with the splash my book was making and i suppose i should have been as well but i know it wasn't really my book they wanted they wanted a talisman they wanted to clap their hands for tinkerbell and say i believe but didn't know how they wanted the avengers to come back and so this is happening while the avengers are fighting the kree scroll war which is a hugely informative marvel book from uh 68 like it happened in like avengers like the 70s issues and there's he has a whole long quote about um like them being away and, and fighting and like how we would have handled this back in my day he he references walter winchell and hb uh calton born and saying tonight america holds our breath and hopes for wherever they are tonight her boys are safe we hang our heads at the injustice we have done them and silently beg their forgiveness but not today. Today we buy books by way of apology and eye each other in the subway and say nothing. And so I think that is full fucking born cynicism has officially entered the Marvel Universe at this point. No longer are they spectacles. No longer are they wonders. No longer are they marvels. They are, uh, I, I guess, expected, right? They're, they're, they're routine at this point. Yeah, and I think, you know, it shows it by just the lack of faith everybody has in them once again, you know, and they're, again, you have them in the in the news saying, you know, very, I love the headline because it's so uh, divisive. It doesn't, you, you can't tell what it means. It says, four wounded in Stark Riot. Iron Man, Guardsmen lash out at student demonstrators. Board of Directors votes no confidence in Stark. If you just read that, you're like, oh, Stark w w wounded four people in a riot. You know what I mean? Like, you'd think that, like, somehow they were involved in, like, the wounded In the people. incident, yeah. 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 We don't know that, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's just interesting, like, how they they definitely have a play on people. Um, some people, you know, they even bring up, like, Falcon, and they call him just another white man, like, in, the, in the, his own community. <laughs> so, like... You know, it's it's interesting, like how the news has so like such a huge part on it. Public, their own viewpoints, you know, from down below. So it's really hard to know: are these the heroes? Are they the ones causing more issues for these people? Like, it's really hard to understand that. But at the end of the day, when the guy with the purple helmet shows up, you're kind of happy the Fantastic Four are there, right? Yeah. And Phil continues, he says, and when they did come back and we were safe again, we coughed and said it wasn't that important anyway. We had other things to occupy our attention now. It would have served us right if they never returned. We didn't deserve them. And like even his, like like a new danger presents itself, like not that far into the issue. And his neighbor is talking about like, well, maybe I should be digging out my old bomb shelter. Like maybe it's time for, for doing that. And uh, Phil just says... <laughs> We had no faith. That was our problem. We didn't trust the marbles. So every time there was the slightest crisis, we'd get scared all over again. And in regards to his neighbor, he says, why bother? The Fantastic Four or the Avengers or someone will handle it. And once it's over and they've saved us, we'll poke them in the eye for it. Like, he is just completely... 
I don't even know the word alienated, I guess, from the world around him. Like he just doesn't feel like he belongs. He feels like he's the only one seeing the truth. And I don't know if that's like an illusion because like you talked about like him losing the eye and then like becoming more wise than everyone around him, right? Like with less vision, like, um, or sorry, with less sight, he has more vision, but it's just like, he seems completely disheartened by like just the way the world around him decides to treat these people. And he feels like he's the only one seeing them for what they really are about how they owe their lives to him. And he, it's funny because he was willing to sacrifice his entire life because he couldn't imagine living in a world with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I do find it, there's like even a part where it's like a time magazine cover and it's Scarlet Witch and vision. And it's like talking about their romance, you know, with like a bunch of protesters, man in the back, in the back. But like, there's a quote on there that says the world, the world, um, the world ground on, it didn't care. It just kept going. And I found that to be pretty fair when you're seeing all this crazy spectacle <laughs> once again. And then to not feel anything about it, you know, and to just like, ooh, it's a wedding shirt for the Fantastic Four. Oh, it's the love romance. Oh, it's the, all they're viewing. Oh, it's a fight between uh, She-Hulk and some other motherfucker on third base at mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium or whatever it was. I don't remember what it was. Um, but it's just interesting how like the things that people hold on to, you know, the what what the general public is getting from. I want to actual shit on the ground. (laughs) I want to I want to hold that quote for a second because I I wrote that one down too, and I'm really glad you did. But that was when he was talking about Gwen. So let's talk about Gwen in this issue. So he's he's researching the the death of George Stacy, Gwen's father, who was like a, a former police chief. And she was really angry at Spider-Man. She, like, kind of held Spider-Man responsible. The, the more she thought about it, she's like, no, like, it wasn't his fault. And, like, even the police didn't think it was Spider-Man's fault. They're like, yeah, like, he was killed by, like, a chimney falling on him. And we couldn't find any evidence of Spider-Man touching the chimney. It was, like, clearly knocked down by something large and metallic. And so he goes to Jameson, who published, like, this article. And he's trying to, like, get Jameson to admit hypocrisy, where it's just like, all right, so... You've recently written articles accusing Spider-Man of kidnapping, sorry, kidnapping Dr. Jorgensen, the blood specialist, and approving himself yellow by not stopping a crime wave. So how can you exhort Spider-Man to act by calling him a coward? But when he does, you when he does act, you label him a criminal. And so Jameson has probably like 10 seconds to react to that, and he just blows the fuck up. He's like, I call it how I see it. How dare you question me? Blah, 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 blah. And then he's just on to do like the next fucking horrendous thing. And what's really funny is like throughout this, he talks about uh, Peter Parker, this young photojournalist for the Daily Bugle. And he's like, oh, that little shit just exploiting Spider-Man for his own fucking gain. It's like, yeah, but that actually is Spider-Man. That's kind of his thing. He's just taking photos of himself and cashing it on. So it's kind of like first hustle culture. Good, Good job, Peter. It's disgusting, though. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, he makes Spider-Man look real bad in this picture that I got. Like, he's just, he'll just fucking sell himself for, it's so gross. When I've never seen Spider-Man in that light and I didn't Uh, like it. It is gross, but also I don't think he has much of a choice. Now that I'm I'm defending it, because like I mean, honestly, like is it his fault or is it is it Jameson's fault? I think it's mostly Jameson's fault, but like he's he's like hate hate the free market. Someone's gonna pay for it. Yeah, but hate the game, not the player, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess, sure. <laughs> uh, so, 
while while he's researching the death of George Stacy, he comes across Gwen, and one day, like he's been interviewing her over the course of several days, and he's just kind of amazed by Gwen, right? Like, he's just like in awe of this woman. And uh, while he's like out talking with her one day, Atlantis actually invades in in reaction to a prisoner being held by the UN in New York. And this is like, why were they doing that? This was him. This was him talking about her reaction. I saw the wonder and delight in her face and knew the mistake I'd made. So some of us belittled the marbles, so we didn't appreciate them. That wasn't important. They weren't here to win the approval of the petty and the small-minded. They were here to save the innocent, to save people like Gwen. And that was like such a beautiful moment where she's talking about it, saying like, this doesn't even feel like real life. This feels like a dream. And it, it almost looks like it's snowing. And, and like she the way she talks about it is like the inverse of the way he was talking about the mutants. Right. Like all these people talking about this, like like it hadn't happened to them, like it had happened to someone else, like it happened in a, in a dream. And like that's how she's reacting. So she is the flip side of this, the, the fear and the hate and everything that was bad about the mutants. She is all the wonder and the awe and the bemusement that is happening at, at this strange world they find themselves in. And the quote you talked about, the world grinding on, uh, Phil is talking to himself after her death. And he says to her, like the rest of the world, Gwen was just a girl. Too bad she died, but it's not like she was anyone important. But that was the point, Blasted. The world ground on. It didn't care. It just kept going. It just went on. Like she'd never existed at all. Like her death meant nothing. It just went on. And it was never going to stop. Not even if I held my breath until I turned blue. And that was him acknowledging what was important. Like having this real like cathartic experience, right? Like after everything exposed to in, in in his world as the capturer of the fantastic right just like as this photojournalist seeing the future as it was happening and then him realizing like no it's not the big things that matter it's the small things that matter right and it's like it's not about even saving the world it's about saving the people who deserve to be saved it's about saving people like Gwen yeah and there's this super reflective moment of his where what he observed when Gwen died too was not pretty, you know, it didn't make Spider-Man look good. It didn't make anybody look good. Nobody oh. saved her, you know? And that was the point. That was the point of, of him, of him observing that and kind of thinking back to that was that it doesn't matter who's the good guy and bad guy at the end of the day, like this innocent person died and no one gives a shit absolutely and heartbreaking nobody, nobody saved her absolutely nobody heartbreaking the hero i'd only ever heard about gwen stacy i didn't like really know the story when i first read this comic and so he had like my reaction was just like well he's gonna save her of course he's gonna fucking save her he's spider-man that's what he does he like heroes save people from villains like green goblin and then just like him talking about like i could hear the snap like it, it haunts me like the, the sound of her neck breaking and like finding out the fall killed her and, and like seeing spider-man fail and the fact that there's like no catharsis like it's not like he seeks out spider-man after to be like how could you let her die and like i'm sure if he did it would have been like you have no idea how much she meant to me like fuck you how dare you accuse me of not doing everything i can to save her like she because he was like in love with Gwen Stacy at this point. This was right, the love right. of his life. And like I'm I'm reading this series right now called Gold Goblin, which is like starring Norman after he had all of his sins eaten by this character named Sin Eater, whatever. But he's still dealing with like the guilt of his actions. And like, like his con his conscience is Gwen Stacy. Like it's like he sees a ghost in his 
like periphery all the fucking time that is Gwen Stacy. It's like this is a character that is like haunted the Marvel universe since she died, right? Like this is how important she is, and like this is him like just starting to like I guess unravel that thread, right? Like. Uh, it was just really powerful to see that scene from the outside perspective and just like all the yeah. hope of seeing a hero and then all the 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 fear right the the depression in in the lost victory yeah yeah it uh sometimes the truth isn't pretty <laughs> no <laughs> no it's way. yeah it's not what and it's complex and it's got you know a lot more to it than what is observed and which in this case it did you know Mm -hmm. uh, but you know from his perspective and from all the experiences he's he's had it's very conflicting which is valid and it doesn't it's the it's not always convenient it doesn't always feel good to to know <laughs> what's actually happening <laughs> right in his case you know seeing spider-man really just you know be the the actual death of gwen stacy mm -hmm. Cause he was, you know, if she hit the if she hit the water, then he just didn't, didn't get to her on time. But like he he threw the web, like it broke her fucking. Back. Yeah, it's him stopping her. It was like the sudden stop that actually killed her. Right? Yeah, so like, like it literally was his fault. Yeah, and that, that, <laughs> that has been like an argued point of like Spider Man's personality and and shit for for years. But um, yeah, it's complex, incredibly complex. And I I've I've flip flopped on it over the years. I'm like, yeah, it's his fault. You know, when I was younger, and then I'm like, ah, it's not his fault. And now I might be like, yeah, it's his fault again. He uh, tried. Yeah, he, he did like, his you best. You can't deny that. But at the end of the day, what, like, you know, what they put on the fucking report was that her, her back was. Yeah, her, her, her neck. Her, yeah, her neck her broke. Neck. There, there's like one comic from like around the time I started like really reading comics, like that started this podcast, and like someone was falling. He's like, I it can't be another Gwen. I can't do that. Like, I've got, to, <laughs> I got to give more support. And he basically just like envelops them in like a cocoon of webs because he's just like, not again, not doing this shit again. <laughs> uh, there's one final quote I want to share with you before we wrap up issue four. Uh, and he's talking to his assistant, Marsha Hardesty. You've got to be outside it, it to see it for what it is. Outside what she says? Anything, everything, whatever. It's the only way to see it, right? You've got to have an eye for it. And mine is gone. I lost it somewhere. I've seen too much and I'm inside now where I can't see anything straight. But you, you're young. You're not tired. You can see what I miss. Make your documentary, Marsha. I've had a good long run, but it's over. No more marvels for me. Time to retire. And so he hands his camera to Marsha, his assistant, and uh, he's getting his paper delivered at this point. There's a young boy. And he's just like, oh, please get a photo of me with, with my wife, with Doris. And this this nice young boy, too. What's your name, son? And what a nice, normal boy. And the kid says, oh, my name's Danny Ketch. And I don't know if you know this, Fabio. Danny Ketch is a fucking ghost rider. Grows up to be a ghost rider. <laughs> I did not know that. He is, he I, is like the fuck, I, I thought this was a really weird ending. I didn't know. No, he is. Uh, I think the first ghost rider is Johnny Blaze. And Danny Ketch is like the ghost rider of like the 80s and 90s. Wow. And so that's one of those things where it's just like, yep, the normal boy today is a fucking superhero tomorrow. Like you never know what's going to happen in this weird, crazy world. And that's when the book yeah. ends. Totally ordinary. Uh, what'd you think? What'd you think of Marvels? I liked it. Uh, I think that it was 
complex and it, it didn't like shy away from anything. And I, I appreciated that. And it was an interesting perspective of a lot of events happening. So when you say that this is kind of like the end before house event, uh, is, is that because of like the time that it happened or is that because like it was the last thing to bring all those stories together before it? Oh no, I don't mean I don't mean literally. It's like the house, okay. like the the end before house of it. I guess what I mean by that is like this is like a really good summary of everything that was happening like in the sixties and seventies, okay. and it has like an interesting perspective. And the reason I want to cover this before house of M is because house of M kind of makes everything weird, where there's just like a whole bunch of new status quos. And I feel like this is when post nine eleven editorial directive isn't just book dependent but like line dependent like that really becomes like this is where shit gets weird spoilers captain america is gonna die a whole bunch of mutants are gonna go away the bad guys are gonna win for a couple years like this is when i feel like things get really weird and the innocence i guess of marvel really takes a back seat to telling interesting stories and I think that all starts with House of M. So I want to take one last look at the way things were before they got weird and different. Okay. Yeah. Like, no, that's I, I guess that's what I meant. And so, like, I have a hard time reading old Silver Age stories, to be honest. Like, I've tried to read Fantastic Four starting at issue one because I love Fantastic Four. I usually get, like, five issues in. I'm like, this is fucking boring. I can't do it. <laughs> like, Stan Lee just overwrote this shit. It's, like, really good plot-wise. It's really good stories. But I just, I, I can't sustain it. And so I, as a high schooler, just pretended that this was the Silver Age. And revisiting it now, I think this book is excellent. I think you can absolutely pretend that this is the Marvel Universe. And if you're interested, there's websites that like detail every story that's referenced within Marvels. I'm, I'm not going to do that as nerdy as I am. So if you're so inclined to read the issues uh, that, that this book was based on, you absolutely can. Um but Fabio, there's there's more content for Marvels. We talked about there issues is. one through four. And what I know was this issue zero. Like, how did why did they do this? This issue zero came out in August, or at least has like a cover date of August for 1994. And what I assume is that this is around the time books started being collected for trade paperbacks. And so I assume that this was published before it was gathered in trade or hardcover. And then this was the first part of the trade paperback I read when I first bought Marvels back in 04, 05. And uh, before we even jump into that, let's talk about August 1994, since that is the cover date. Fabio? Okay. Here's a list of five movies. Tell me how fucking awesome they are. You ready for this? Yes. Number one movie at the box office for August 1994, Forrest Gump. Not awesome. Not awesome? Fuck you. Not awesome. I hate Forrest Gump. Well, how come? Because you can't run? Because you got asthma? Is that is that why you hate Forrest Gump? No, actually, George, I run. So go fuck yourself. Oh, uh, really? Uh, uh, what's your favorite pair of shoes to run in? Uh, I actually got some really nice Adidas from Danny. So they're very expensive and very nice to run in. And they have an actual tire sole. Well, I feel like an asshole now because I yeah. have gone on a hike with you and neither of us did particularly well on that hike. Yeah, well, I, you know, we we're both smoking and uh, it's probably the entire time. So, yeah, that probably didn't help. <laughs> uh, okay, so fuck Forrest Gump, I guess, uh, according to Fabio. I, I still like it. Yep. Watched it a couple months ago. I think it holds I get up a lot fine. of people like it. I think it's fucking ridiculous, but sure. Oh, it's, it's preposterous. Yeah, but you might like number two Clear and Present Danger. 
I don't know if I've ever seen that movie. Oh, bro, that's the second Harrison Ford, Tom Clancy, yeah, like yeah. Jack Ryan. I don't well, think that... I've seen most of the the Tom Clancy movies. Oh man, you, any of it? Did you like the ending of Call of Duty Cold War? Black yeah. Ops Cold War? Oh, buddy, you should watch Clear and Present Danger. I've been meaning to read some Tom Clancy because I want to know if he's actually a bad writer or if people are giving him a bad rap. I've tried to read The Sum of All Fears after that movie came out. I was like, I can do it. I was 11 or 12. I don't think I was like okay. actually equipped to read The Sum of All Fears. That's fair, yeah. I do want to give it a shot, though. I can't tell, because I've heard a lot of people shitting on him for just writing you know reactionary bullshit but i, I, I tried to read I'm i tried curious. to i tried to read that i tried to read the born identity after that movie came out again i was like 12 and i'm like why am i reading these these old man movies especially or old man movie books especially because like it turns out the first born identity came out in like 1980 and i was like trying to read that in like 2002 that's like an 11 12 year old I'm like uh, what yeah. am i doing I don't even fully understand those movies, so like I can't even imagine reading those books. It's way too. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're I, old men now, so maybe we read them now. Yeah, I got thirteen pages in. I was like, ah, I might just go watch the DVD. <laughs> Movie number three at the box office was The Mask. Fuck, that's the same time. The yeah, same year. Yeah, same Weird. month. Weird. Yeah, that's technically a comic book movie, so relevant. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, number four, True Lies weird that movie holds up i think i think our our lord and savior jc james cameron big jim i think he directed a banger there yeah i haven't seen that movie in a really fucking long time either and number five was the animated movie the lion king awesome awesome movie yeah really good shit i cried in theaters just can't wait to be king yeah mufasa died shit ruined my life yeah jeremy irons is second best That's villain role after my dad is a giant cat That's yes. my dad. <laughs> jeremy irons second best villain after die hard with a vengeance right simon says do the math yeah. for how much walter weighs yeah whatever that shit was is good sure yeah all right and here's second the bill- best. here's the billboard hot 100 really quick uh song number five was i swear by all for one <laughs> uh-huh Big R&B moment right here. Uh, you're going to see what I mean. Uh, number four, Wild Night by John Mellencamp with Michelle uh, Endicella. I got to be honest, I had to look this song up because I was confusing it with like I, I was confusing uh-huh. those those two songs. Uh, I don't really like John Mellencamp. I don't so, think I know which song it is, so I'm gonna have to. You're gonna have to listen to this episode and uh, yeah, and see what you added. And then uh, let's see, song number three was "Fantastic Voyage" by Coolio.
that's the slide, slide, slippity slide. Like that. I think it's actually in a commercial series I right think now. you listened to more Coolio than I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did the theme song for Keenan and Kel, so I, I had to. That's fair. I had to do some some explorations of Coolio. Yeah, that was uh, really weird that they let him in on all the kids' shit we were watching. It's a very strange like collaboration between. The yeah, guys. especially because he did a uh, Gangster's Paradise like two years before Keenan and Kel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, song number two. This is where R and B comes back. This is "I'll Make Love to You" by Boys to Men. Boys to Men. Uh. <laughs> This song is really good. <laughs> Boys to Men are really good. <laughs> uh, I listen to it when I go on a slow run, or as most people call it, a walk. I, I go on lots of walks. I try to walk three to three to four miles a day. That's great. I haven't lately because I, I have Adidas Grand Courts and they really fucking hurt my feet and my knees. So I ordered a new pair of of Hoka's, which should be arriving oh, ne yeah. next week, and I hope those help out with my walks. I saw a divorcee wearing those today. Yeah, it checks out. Also, I smoke Virginia Slim 100s. Uh, oh. So, no, that's not true. Uh, the number one song in the Billboard Hot 100. Um, one of my biggest celebrity crushes probably ever. It is Stay by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. Bobby, do you know what Lisa Loeb looks like? Close your eyes and imagine a librarian. If you're talking, you're muted, my guy. How I might have been muted for a long time. Um, so like 87 years old, uh wearing like an old Victorian dress kind of made out of like purple purple fabric. All right. Uh picture a librarian like Picture a librarian in your head when you're 12 years old and thinking about what if a librarian was hot. I think that's probably closer to what Lisa Loeb looked like. No, I, I looked up Lisa Loeb. It's not what she looked like. Yeah. Oh god, Lisa Loeb's so fucking hot. She also she hosts uh she hosts a bunch of shows on XM radio. She does, I think like the 90s channel. I can't remember. That's a what... really weird gig. I can't remember. Well, she does like guest DJing spots like on the weekend. Interesting. Also, she is so fucking hot in that music video. It's like a tracking shot. I turn the radio on. I turn the radio on. This woman was singing my song. No, that song's fucking excellent. It was on the Reality Bite soundtrack. Interesting. I'm looking at Lisa Loeb and I would not have guessed that she ever sings. She looks more like she does really like raunchy comedy. It seems like it's more her deal. I thought you were gonna be way meaner, so I'll take that she's a raunchy comedian lookalike. Um, so th this came. This was what was happening in August of 1994. In August 94, there was Marvel Zero, and this was a book that takes place entirely from the perspective of the Human Torch from Jim Hammond after he was created by I think Fabio back me up. Uh, Phineas Horton was the was the scientist who created him. Yes, Phineas Thomas Horton. Yeah, so he is created, uh, he inspires fear, and so his, his, his father, his creator, 
locks him away in a concrete prison. And um, he sits there contemplating life and uh, he's getting like these kind of like mental radio announcements, I guess, right? Like telegraphed into his head. And so he has this quote where he says, I was aware of everything, understanding nothing. And so that's like an old like philosophical thought experiment where it's like, if you were a brain in a vat and if you were given every, like if every neuron in your brain um, was fired, that like someone who sees the color red, if every neuron that happens, if every neuron that fires when they see the color red, if those exact neurons were touched in your brain, even though you've never seen the color red, but you experienced seeing the color red, have you seen the color red? Does that make sense the way I, I phrase that? I think so. Okay, so like, let's say, let's see. If it was, the bear shits in the woods, was it the Pope? Yes, that's more or less what I'm getting at. Like, if if you could have the experience of eating a lollipop and you could perfectly describe it because your brain has been told it's eaten a lollipop, but you've never literally had a lollipop, is that the same thing as having a lollipop? And so that is kind of where Jim Hammond's at. And, uh, he manages to break free out of his concrete prison. And he says, as I have learned since, I was not the first anomaly to exist. But on that day of my freedom in 1939, this world had its first confrontation with the fantastic. The golden age of miracles would begin. And in the years to come, the world would know the presence of the unnatural and extraordinary as a part of reality. And then it's over. And then it's over for 25 years. And uh, for the 25th <laughs> anniversary of Marvel's, there was an epilogue that was published. And it's basically Phil, after he'd retired, he'd gone out uh, with his daughters one night. Doris was sick. His daughters are grown. They're teenagers now. They're at uh, Rockefeller Center. And there's a group of people. Uh, this scruffy guy comes up and asks him for a cigarette. And he's like, oh, sorry, I don't smoke. And the guy's like, huh, could have fooled me. He's like, I haven't smoked in a year. What the fuck is that guy talking about? Turns out that guy was Wolverine with his insane sense of smell. And a bunch of Sentinels start attacking around Rockefeller Center. And it turns out uh, Wolverine is there with a group of X-Men. And this is some X-Men issue that I cannot reference off the top of my head. So I'm not going to try to. But it's just him being like, oh, my daughters, they were just as excited as I was. Like they have the fire that I did. Like they were so into it and like nova first appears which i guess like kind of marks the beginning of like the bronze age for for comics post silver age and yeah. uh yeah like it's just it's just good shit yeah it was, it was and... cute not necessary but cute yeah it was uh I, I liked i liked that little um addition to that that i didn't get to read so i'm just gonna pretend like i read it oh perfect yeah no you're nailing cute. it yeah it was cute yeah, so if Fabio doesn't read a comic but has every sensation of having read it uh, <laughs> expl explained to him by his co-host on the podcast, is that the same thing as reading it? I think it's the same thing. Um, that's yeah. I, that that's it. That's that's Marvel's baby. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It kind of like somewhere in the beginning of the book, uh, I think it was the first issue, they kind of bring up how like at one point there were all kinds of gods, right? Like kind of these grander than life creatures and, 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 and you know, people with power and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, and it's just, it's, um, uh, it's just interesting how they portray these characters as like the next, um, the next version of that. And I like the Mary Shelley callback 
that they had at the beginning oh of, yeah of, of the book of, zero, I guess. of zero yeah yeah um and it makes it makes sense too specifically to reference that not just because jim hammond was someone created but like Mary Shelley is credited with inventing science fiction as like a, a genre, right? Like it was her right, right. bored as fuck with like Lord Byron and some other chick. I can't remember. And she's like, they were just like doing drugs and having threesomes. And she's like, I'm tired. I'm going to go write something, right? Like that's like the, the super anecdotal for like, obviously it was more complicated than that, but like, that's like the, the basic premise of how she invented frankenstein yeah and she busted a load and invented frankenstein that yeah everyone knows that you know. yeah that's how it happened um no this was a really cool uh story I, I think it was an interesting perspective surprisingly not boring um and it does have a lot of uh interesting things to think about you know yeah. like how would a lot of a lot of reflection to do <laughs> i think a lot of the reflective points uh that you could take if uh, if by any chance you want more Marvels, there was a book that came out a year later called Ruins. And um, it was kind of a parody, I guess, of Marvels. Like for all the awe and wonderment, this book was just like, what if depression had its own comic? And this was written by Warren Ellis, who Fabio, you know, I love, even though he's a the yeah. sex best and it's very complicated, but love his early work in particular. Uh, and it was illustrated by Therese Nielsen, who's probably best known actually for drawing and painting a whole bunch of Magic the Gathering cards. Like, I think they did, like, uh, Sierra Angel, or sorry, Sarah Angel, and uh, all that shit, like okay. a bunch of like, a bunch of the classic ones. Yeah, yeah. And then their partner, Cliff Nielsen, and uh, Chris Muller on art. And it was basically like any bad thing that could happen in the Marvel Universe did happen. Like, basically, the Avengers died in a plane crash, like they were fucking Leonard Skinnerd. And they were like originally like a radical secessionist group from California rebelling against an oppressive U.S. government. And then, and then they die. And it was like a big conspiracy. And like, like it, it's just like such a fucking dark, like, oh, my God, how can it get any worse? Oh, it gets much worse. Like, oh, he goes to see Nick Fury, who's like a government agent. And he's just like a drunk, depressed asshole. And then Jean Grey, a, a prostitute offers herself to both of them what? for for 20 bucks and then he kills her and then he kills himself because he hates the fucking world he's in like it's it's clearly just like making fun of all the wonder and awe of of marvels i don't think it's like a particularly good book but uh if if you want to see how weird marvel was willing to get in 1995 you should you should check it out i don't think they'd publish a book like this today even though they do publish books where everything goes wrong i don't think they would let it go this wrong but Fabio, that's Marvels. Thank you so much for reading it. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks for uh, for for encouraging me to read it. I think anyone should check this out. I think it's a really good book. Appreciate it. But uh, it's getting late, so we're gonna wrap it up here. Um, but everything I said at the top of the episode applies. Please subscribe. Please review. Please like. Please do all the things. Please share it. That'd be really cool. And uh, like I said, we're going to talk about Silver Age influence stories for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, Captain America White, and just try to talk about classical era before we get into the new weird shit, which I can't wait to get to, but I want to take one last look at how things work. You can follow Fabio on Twitter at Sabio Fantana. You can follow Shortbox Summer on Twitter at PurpleBird616, and we will be back in your ear holes next week. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Love you, bye. bye.